Section 18 of the Underground Railroad, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part 3, by William Still, Section 18. Arrivals from Richmond, Lewis Cobb and Nancy Brister. No one southern city furnished a larger number of brave, wide-awake, and likely-looking underground railroad passengers than the city of Richmond. Lewis and Nancy were fair specimens of the class of travelers coming from that city. Lewis was described as a light yellow man, medium size, good-looking, and intelligent. In referring to bondage, he spoke with great earnestness and in language very easily understood, especially when speaking of Samuel Myers, from whom he escaped. He did not hesitate to give him the character of being a very hard man, who was never satisfied, no matter how hard the slaves might try to please him. Myers was engaged in the commission and forwarding business, and was a man of some standing in Richmond. From him Lewis had received very severe floggings, the remembrance of which he would not only carry with him to Canada, but to the grave. It was owing to abuse of this kind that he was awakened to look for a residence under the protection of the British Lion. For eight months he longed to get away, and had no rest until he found himself on the Underground Railroad. His master was a member of the Century Methodist Church, as was also his wife and family, but Lewis thought that they were strangers to practical Christianity, judging from the manner the slaves were treated by both master and mistress. Lewis was a Baptist, and he belonged to the second church. Twelve hundred dollars had been offered for him. He left his father, Judville, and his brother, John Harris, both slaves. In view of his prospects in Canada, Lewis's soul overflowed with pleasing anticipations of freedom, and the committee felt great satisfaction in assisting him. Nancy was also from Richmond, and came in the same boat with Lewis. She represented the most likely-looking female bondservants. Indeed, her appearance recommended her at once. She was neat, modest, and well-behaved, with a good figure and the picture of health, with a countenance beaming with joy and gladness, notwithstanding the late struggles and sufferings through which she had passed. Young as she was, she had seen much of slavery, and had doubtless profited by the lessons thereof. At all events, it was through cruel treatment, having been frequently beaten after she passed her eighteenth year, that she was prompted to seek freedom. It was so common for her mistress to give way to unbridled passions that Nancy never felt safe. Under the severest infliction of punishment she was not allowed to complain. Neither from mistress nor master had she any reason to expect mercy or leniency. Indeed, she saw no way of escape but by the Underground Railroad. It was true that the master, Mr. William Bears, was a Yankee from Connecticut, and his wife a member of the Episcopal Church, but Nancy's yoke seemed none the lighter for all that. Fully persuaded that she would never find her lot any better while remaining in their hands, she accepted the advice and aid of a young man to whom she was engaged— he was shrewd enough to find an agent in Richmond with whom he entered into a covenant to have Nancy brought away. With a cheerful heart, the journey was undertaken in the manner aforesaid, and she safely reached the committee. Her mother, one brother, and a sister, 
she had to leave in Richmond. One thousand dollars were lost in the departure of Nancy. Having been accommodated and aided by the committee, they were forwarded to Canada. Lewis wrote back repeatedly and expressed himself very gratefully for favors received, as will be seen by the appended letters from him. Toronto, April 25, 1857 To Mr. William Still Dear Sir, I take this opportunity of addressing these few lines to inform you that I am well and hope that they may find you and your family enjoying the same good health. Please to give my love to you and your family. I had a very pleasant trip from your house that morning. Dear sir, you would oblige me much, if you have not sent that box to Mr. Robinson, to open it and take out the little yellow box that I tied up in the large one and send it on by express to me in Toronto. Lift up a few of the things and you will find it near the top. All the clothes that I have are in that box and I stand in need of them. You would oblige me much by so doing. I stopped at Mr. Jones's in Elmira and was very well treated by him while there. I am now in Toronto and doing very well at present. I am very thankful to you and your family for the attention you paid to me while at your house. I wish you would see Mr. Ormstead and ask him if he has not some things for Mr. Anthony Loney, and if he has, please send them on with my things, as we are both living together at this time. Give my love to Mr. Anthony, also to Mr. Ormstead and family. Dear Sir, we both would be very glad for you to attend to this, as we both do stand much in need of them at this time. Dear Sir, you will oblige me by giving my love to Miss Frances Watkins, as she has said she hoped to be out in the summer. I should like to see her. I have met with a gentleman here by the name of Mr. Trueheart, and he sends his best love to you and your family. Mr. Trueheart desires to know whether you received the letter he sent to you, and, if so, answer it as soon as possible. Please answer this letter as soon as possible. I must now come to a close by saying that I remain your beloved friend, Lewis Cobb. The young man who was there that morning, Mr. Robinson, got married to that young lady. Toronto, June 2, 1857 To Mr. William Still Dear Sir, I received yours dated May 6th and was extremely happy to hear from you. You may be surprised that I have not answered you before this, but it was on account of not knowing anything concerning the letter being in the post office until I was told by a friend. The box of which I have been inquiring I have received and am infinitely obliged to you for sending it. Mr. and Mrs. Renson are living in Hamilton C.W. They send their best love on to you and your family. I am at present residing in Toronto, C.W. Mr. Anthony Loney has gone on to Boston and is desirous of my coming on to him, and as I have many acquaintances there, I should like to know from you whether it would be advisable or not. Give, if you please, my best love to your family and accept the same for yourself, and also to Mr. James Ormstead and family. Tell Mr. James Ormstead I would be glad if he would send me a pair of thick, heavy boots for it rains and hails as often out here in the summer as it does there in the winter. Tell him to send number nine, and anything he thinks will do me good in this cold country. Please to give to Mr. James Ormstead, to give to Mr. Robert Selden, and tell him to give it to my father. Mr. and Mrs. Trueheart send their love to you and your family.
If the gentleman Mr. R.S. is not running on the boat now, you can give directions to Ludwill Cobb in care of Mr. R. Selden, Richmond, Virginia. Tell Mr. Ormstead not to forget my boots, and send them by express. No more at present, but remain yours very truly. Please write soon. Lewis Cobb Passengers from North Carolina by Schooner Major Latham, William Wilson, Henry Gorham, Wiley Madison, and Andrew Shepard. The above-named passengers were delivered into the hands of Thomas Garrett by the captain who brought them, and were aided and forwarded to the committee in Philadelphia, as indicated by the subjoined letter. Wilmington, 11th month, 6th, 1856. Respected friend, William Still. Thine of yesterday came to hand this morning, advising me to forward these four men to thee, which I propose to send from here in steamboat at two o'clock p.m. today to thy care. One of them thinks he has a brother and cousin in New Bedford, and is anxious to get to them. The others thee can do what thee thinks best with. After consulting with them, we have rigged them up pretty comfortably with clothes, and have paid for their passage to Philadelphia and also for the passage of their pilot there and back. He proposed to ask thee for three dollars, for the three days' time he lost with them, but that we will raise here for him, as one of them expects to have money brought from Carolina soon that belongs to him, and wants thee, when they are fixed, to let me know that I may forward it to them. I will give each of them a card of our firm, hoping they may get along safe. I remain ever thy sincere friend, Thomas Garrett. The passengers by this arrival were above the ordinary plantation or farmhand slave, as will appear from a glance at their condition under the yoke. Major Latham was forty-four years of age, mulatto, very resolute, with good natural abilities, and a decided hater of slavery. John Latham was the man whom he addressed as master, which was a very bitter pill for him to swallow. He had been married twice— and at the time of his escape he was the husband of two wives, the first one with their three children, in consequence of changes incident to slave life, was sold a long distance from her old home and husband, thereby ending the privilege of living together. He could think of them, but that was all. He was compelled to give them up altogether. After a time he took himself to another wife, with whom he lived several years, Three more children owned him as father, the result of this marriage. During his entire manhood, Major had been brutally treated by his master, which caused him a great deal of anguish and trouble of mind. Only a few weeks before he escaped, his master, in one of his fits of passion, flogged him most cruelly. From that time, the resolution was permanently grounded in his mind to find the way to freedom, if possible, before many more weeks had passed. Day and night he studied, worked, and planned, with freedom uppermost in his mind. The hour of hope arrived, and with it, Captain F. William, a fellow passenger with Major, was forty-two years of age, just in the prime of life, and represented the mechanics in chains, being a blacksmith by trade. Dr. Thomas Warren, who followed farming in the neighborhood of Eatontown, was the owner of William. In speaking of his slave life, William said, I was sold four times, 
Twice I was separated from my wives. I was separated from one of my wives when living in Portsmouth, Virginia, etc. In his simple manner of describing the trials he had been called upon to endure, it was not to be wondered at that he was willing to forsake all and run fearful risks in order to rid himself not only of the load on his back, but also the load on his heart. By the very positive character of William's testimony against slavery, the committee felt more than ever justified in encouraging the Underground Railroad. Henry Gorham was thirty-four years of age, a prime, heavy, dark, smart, article, and a good carpenter. He admitted that he had never felt the lash on his back, but, nevertheless, he had felt deeply on the subject of slavery. For years, the chief concern with him was as to how he could safely reach a free state. Slavery he hated with a perfect hatred. To die in the woods, live in a cave, or sacrifice himself in some way he was bound to do rather than remain a slave. The more he reflected over his condition, the more determined he grew to seek his freedom. Accordingly, he left and went into the woods. There he prepared himself a cave and resolved to live and die in it rather than return to bondage. Before he found his way out of the prison house, eleven months elapsed. His strong impulse for freedom and intense aversion to slavery sustained him until he found an opportunity to escape by the Underground Railroad. One of the tried agents of the Underground Railroad was alone cognizant of his dwelling in the cave, and regarding him as a tolerably safe passenger, having been so long secreted, secured him a passage on the schooner, and thus he was fortunately relieved from his eleven months' residence in his den. No rhetoric or fine scholarship was needed in his case to make his story interesting. None but hearts of stone could have listened without emotion. Andrew, another fellow passenger, was twenty-six years of age, and a decidedly inviting-looking specimen of the peculiar institution. He filled the situation of an engineer. He, with his wife and one child, belonged to a small orphan girl who lived at South End Camden County, North Carolina. His wife and child had to be left behind. While it seemed very hard for a husband thus to leave his wife, every one that did so weakened slavery and encouraged and strengthened anti-slavery. Numbered with these four North Carolina passengers is found the name of Wiley Madison, a young man of 19 years of age who escaped from Petersburg on the cars as a white man. He was a promising appearance and found no difficulty whatever on the road. With the rest, however, he concluded himself hardly safe this side of Canada, and it afforded the committee special pleasure to help them all. End of section 18